Hello and welcome back to the Shadow Work Library. My name is Jessica DePotzi, and for the next at least 41 shows, I'm gonna take you through this series that covers the spectrum of negative patterns in the human experience and how we can understand them and transmute them with shadow work. Now, if you're listening to this right now, you're in podcast version, so it would be awesome if you checked out the YouTube version of the show. I got a new camera and it's a good camera. It looks super crispy. I finally have a permanent studio set up. It's all looking, it's all coming together. So if you have the space and you're looking for a visual, then you can check out the YouTube channel, which the link will be in the show notes. All right, enjoy the show. Setting this up on my own is really hard, but look at this. <laughs> She's got a new studio. She's got a new mic, a new camera, obviously. It's looking good, huh? So today's shadow work submission is all about inadequacy and how it turns into resourcefulness and eventually wisdom. And the research for this episode, it came as a result of something completely different that I was working on, which was pretty cool because I got some work done. I was able to put this show together for you and I got a lot of my own shadow work done. Well, I wouldn't say I got it done, but I did a lot of it, which is a given anytime I do one of these episodes. And the shadow of inadequacy, I have to say, was tricky for me. The more I dug in, the more I could see all the sides of this and it was pretty complex really tricky. And so to keep this under an hour, I'm going to miss some stuff, I'm sure. So if you catch anything, let's talk about it. But I'm seeing it too. And like, I just needed to stop at some point. So anyway, here's the story. Shadow Work Library and the SFE were collaborating to create a new community, uh, to launch a new community in a few months called The Art of Adversity. Now, in preparation for the launch, we needed to put the branding together and you know, I've never been much of a big social media user. Like I have spurts going on Instagram once in a while, but there is no strategy or aesthetic going on at all. Somehow in all of my days of marketing, I never really needed it. I figured out other mediums that work just fine. But for this brand, I'm like, okay, like I actually want to do this. This is my time to get into social media. It's like moving back to California. Why would anyone want to do that? I don't know, <laughs> but this is my time. So... I was looking around on Instagram and doing a little research to see what other people in the space are doing. What's trending in the transformational community? And I'll admit something right here. A toxic trait of mine is to be kind of judgy of most marketing. Like that used to be my professional life. And I took a lot of pride, too much pride in doing it with finesse and not adding to the noise. So like basic stuff like Stuff that's left over from the best practice internet marketers of the 20 teens, it just makes my, oh, it just makes my skin crawl. And mostly I'm judgy pants, like it's no big deal, glass of wine, it's in my head. Not everybody's obviously going to be good at this. But when it comes to people whose profession is to guide other people and being of service to others, when those types of people are using that kind of marketing, it has me feeling like a real certain kind of way. And if you know the vibe of this show by now, you'll know that it's not always what it seems, right? Like every virtue is rooted in a vice. So my piety, my like, yeah, my holiness isn't without its own sin, but I'm going to get into that in a second. Now, don't get me wrong. Some life coaches and fitness coaches and spiritual coaches do it very well. They're super inspiring, very educational and real. 
I'm talking right now about transformational leaders or influencers or gurus that have this tendency to exploit emotional distress and exploit financial distress. Way too many of them are highlighting inadequacies to ultimately help heal people of them. Like there are absolutely respectable ways to highlight the pain someone's going through and show how your system or your practice can help them through that. But I think you know what I'm talking about. There is a lot out there that picks at scabs unethically. And I have a special place in my judgy bits for transformational leaders in particular because, because they exist to awaken and they know what they're doing. You know, it's different if I see, let's say, like a skincare company do it or a, see a booty shot at the gym. Like these people are not in the healing business, so it's not like hypocritical. At least that's the logic in my head. So this went from doing some marketing research to exploring how some people are unknowingly adding to the inadequacy in our current um, cultural narrative and how some people might be unknowingly soaking it in. And I want to know, like, how do I fit into all of this? And how is this giving the transformational community this unearned, unnecessary, bad reputation? Because most of the people in this space are doing amazing things. Unfiltered now... <laughs> I find generally transformational coaches present as narcissistic. Like if you go on Reddit, you're going to see words like punchable face next to almost every well-known celebrity spiritual guru out there. And I think that there's something around the word life coach or variations of that that's flawed right from the get-go. Like you hire a baseball coach because they're better at baseball than you. And so you, when you hire a life coach, is it because they're better at life than you? You know, there's like this verbal... There's a spell being cast there that I think is not quite right. I, that's why I prefer specialists in the healing space. Logically, that makes more sense to me, especially if you're young. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. Now, some of these particular gurus might be um, deserving of that, but there are also other things happening there. They are calling out parts of people um, that people feel ashamed of, right? And I think that we need to call out people more with grace and for people who don't want to look at it, who feel threatened and act in a way that projects their fear when they notice their own shortcomings, like they might go into troll mode, you know, become that heckler or a different kind of person in that similar spectrum would internalize that call out as, well, I have no agency. This is the way I am. So it like feeds, it builds their inadequacy instead of inspiring change. Now, what we're seeing there is this great example of how the re reactive and the repressive manifestation of inadequacy plays together. The, provo the provocateur and the provoked. It's the same shadow, inadequacy, just different manifestations of it. Now, the repressive manifestation of inadequacy, and repressive being when your fear is introverted and projected inwards, is the shadow state most of the world is in. This consciousness is too afraid to look into the fear within its body. So it settles into like these fixed patterns that society gives them. And so this looks like embodying the inadequacy you might glean from something like internet culture or, or right, like those trolls rejecting and lashing out at people who are noticing what you already feel inadequate about. And then the reactive manifestation of inadequacy and reactive being when your fear is extroverted and projected outwards, this is what we're seeing from, seeing from some influencers who are out of integrity. Really want to nail that right there. Like, they also feel this fear about being inherently inadequate, so they intentionally or unintentionally manipulate the environment around them 
to feel this sense of security. They use their knowledge to feed this general sense of inadequacy in others. So it's like, look, if I got it all going on, meaning if people see that I'm feeling better about myself than they do about them, then I, I feel better about myself, right? And the word for that we can use is unscrupulous. The problem is it can do more harm in the world than good. Now, I do want to point out here that this is a really good example of thinking that the reactive manifestation is more evil or bad than the repressive version, and that's not the case at all. Whether you're the follower or the influencer, literally, metaphorically, we both have equal responsibility to pull ourselves out of pattern. It's really easy to blame the person with the followers, the leader, and I get, obviously, the logic of that. But if we all stopped watching the Kardashians, would they have any power, right? Everyone is feeding each other's beasts. It's a circle jerk of shadow work. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so if you can subscribe to all of that, we're all part of this problem as usual. The good news, though, is that it implies we can all be a part of the solution. And I think that shift really could happen if everyone collectively understood this one thing. You are going to change the world whether you mean to or not. A long time ago, it was like 2012, I think, I went to a HubSpot marketing conference and this is when company culture was like super hot and it was becoming something that people were talking about. It was like Zappos' delivering happiness years, you know, the good old days. <laughs> and the keynote um, was uh, Darmesh. He was presenting their culture code. It was He's like the founder. And one of the things that he had said that really hit me is um, you're going to have a company culture, whether you like it or not. So why not make it one you love? Culture happens. And I remember I had this moment of hearing something else that was being said rather than what he was saying, or maybe he meant for it to go like 10 layers deep. It was one of those like mind blowing moments. And I looked around and I was thinking all of these people here, Everyone is changing the culture of humanity. This epoch is being built right now, whether we mean to do it or not. Think about the Newton's third law of it all. Our actions have equal reactions. Even your thoughts and energy have reactions, but like, let's keep it 3D. And so what is the culture that we're building right now? We know that people are feeling like they don't matter. We know that people feel like they're not good enough. We know that this is all a big problem. We know that suicide rates are remarkably high. We know that internet culture, which is so much of the West's reality, is more actually a reality than physical reality. We know that the implication to have a good life is to be rich, hot, and happy. And I'll go back to that reactive manifestation of inadequacy. Like There are a lot of leaders fueling this vibe. Now, this is where it, it like also it's also nuanced. Being healthy is so important. My good friend Rick Alexander says, more poetically than I could ever say it. But when your toe hurts, all you can focus is how much your toe hurts. So it's like if you stub your toe, all you can focus on is that. Your consciousness, when you're in pain or you're sick or generally not in your best physical health, it's limited, right? So you can't skip over sleeping well, eating well, drinking good quality water, getting good quality light exposure, and being financially resourced is important. But the constant fire hose of reminders that we could be happier, we could be more in love, we could be sexier. And if we had those things, we could matter more. It's giving the self-development industry a bad name. And I think it's mostly undeserving because most of these people are doing great things in the world and for their communities. 
So is this stuff I'm seeing online really a result of narcissism or are some people just lacking marketing refinement and finesse that could easily be fixed by like taking out all the exclamation marks in their copy or they get a real branding person that's not going to let them post a cringe photo of them reading their own book. I'm sorry, that's so shady, but like, go on. <laughs> and that had me thinking, well, Jesus, where is the line between social media being a medium of healthy individual self-expression, which is like, heck yeah, and this other side of this responsibility of the words and the messages that you put out there and what does that add to? Um, does it add to an already kind of unimpressive narrative of our generation? And that's a tough consideration for me because here's where my own misalignment comes into play. I'll admit, I wish I had the guts to post videos of me dancing around in a thong on Instagram as a form of self-expression. I think that would heal parts of myself that would have me feeling empowered and maybe it would make sense to put an inspirational message in the caption. Like that combo kind of makes sense, even though every time I see it, I'm like, ah. <laughs> and also though, what makes sense is that I have this responsibility to develop, to, de to develop my energy and my effectiveness as an orator and a storyteller and to evoke emotion and influence maybe that'll inspire change in some way. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I often consider using my sexuality as a tool like a megaphone for shadow work. But what I keep coming back to is that I might be creating more density in the world by manufacturing this external expression of a very introverted, introspective process that most of the time is not sexy. Like, okay, and I also want to say don't hold me to that because another thing that's true is that I don't feel like very comfortable calling special attention to myself. My Leo-esque traits are kind of repressed. So I might let out some of that erotic energy at some point. I don't know. You might see a different version of me one day. It's all a work in progress, obviously. <laughs> okay, but clearly this whole thing has taken me down a rabbit hole. Okay, I want to get back on track. Now, at first, I wanted to figure this out because of our own brand's presentation to the world, but that quickly shifted to this being a shadow work thing, of course. And maybe it was all that time on Instagram that was putting me into a heightened, altered state, um, or more accurately, it was shutting down parts of my brain. But my thought process was, okay, it's possible, it's possible that these people, myself, my peers, who are committing ourselves to helping others pull themselves out of their dark nights, like good people, life coaches, fitness coaches, spiritual coaches, the go hard or go home types, like it's possible we're actually also feeling this flywheel of our culture's innate sense of inadequacy without even knowing it. And... Am I collectively contributing to one of the darkest shadows in the human experience? This fear that we're innately inadequate. I mean, I'm a professional marketer and a transformational educator. Like, that is a dangerous combination. Yikes. Like, I'm just a ticking time bomb for cult leader. Right? <laughs> I mean, maybe if I was better at it. But really, like, I laser focus in on the shadow in particular because I see it in myself. I often expect more from myself than my talent and my character can supply. And that's inadequacy vibes for sure. And I do not want to contribute to that in others in any way. So I picked up this book called Selfie. It's 
Uh, How We Became So so Self-Obsessed and What It's Doing to Us, and it's by Will Storer, who, damn, he is an amazing writer. Like, I'm so jealous of him in a cool way, respectful way. It's amazing. Um, It's also a chonky book. My mic. I haven't gone through the entire thing yet, and if you're watching the YouTube version of this, you can see here how tough I am. I've dropped this in the bathtub like a couple of times. Um, Anyway, it's a brilliant analysis of early social history all the way to today's internet culture. And I'd put it in the same category, honestly, as a few of these other major major perspective shifting modern literature like Behave by Robert Sapolsky and Sapiens by Yuval something. And he starts by speaking with people who've been affected by suicide, um, like these people who have felt inadequacy the hardest and saw no way out. And he has the reader considering how less than 5% of people who are diagnosed depressive actually experience suicidality. So mental illness isn't an explanation, even though it's a factor. It's more of a psychological phenomenon. So it seems like suicidality is more actually often tied to an extreme form of inadequacy or something called social perfectionism, which if you're prone to it, your self-esteem is dangerously dependent on keeping roles and responsibilities you believe you have. So these people are very sensitive to signals of failure in the environment, something like letting someone down and not being the person that you think you should be. Now, most of us know that male suicides are rising every single day, so I want to focus on that for a sec. If this is really about perceived failure to fulfill roles, let's look at the roles men have to fulfill today. They have to be a fighter, a winner, a provider, a protector. They're expected to be muscular and hot and have thick, healthy hair in just the right spots. You know, they're expected to be kind of metro as well, like not too masculine, not too threatening. It's a very, very confusing ecosystem. Man, I wasn't recording. All right, back to it. Where was I? Uh, Okay, Elizabeth Gilbert, she shares a study in her book, Committed. I don't have the exact date of the poll. I think it was in the 40s, probably making that up. But they polled women in the U.S., I think, uh, to understand what the number one quality was that they expected from their husbands, and that was that they have decency. Now, that, I think, is manageable. But in a more recent poll, researchers found that the number one trait women expect from men today is to be inspirational, for men to inspire them daily. That is a huge expectation to put on someone. But I get it. Like, I do. There is no limit to what I expect from my partner. (laughs) Okay. I'm only half kidding. I'm a modern woman, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But really, like, what a ton of opportunities to fall short of what society expects of you to fall severely short of standards and expectations. It's just like a given these days. And don't even get me started on women or our non-binary friends. Like there is an entire universe of standards to fail at measuring up to. You know, there's this video going around on social feeds about this universe, contestants introducing themselves and the woman from France kind of lost her vocal control, which was like, it's a little bit funny, I guess. But I had this thought, how can any little girl ever feel good about herself after seeing this. (laughs) I'm so dramatic, I know. But these women are aesthetic perfection and we're making fun of one of them because she did some weird scream thing. Is there any level of perfection that's sacred? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Okay, let me back up. So let's get back to this. A feeling like a failure 
is not bad. It's not dangerous. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it can be a very motivating and a healthy part of the process of being one of these humans that just goes for it. But um, like one of our dark doc experts, Anderson Todd says, it's only a problem when it becomes a problem. And it becomes a problem when you lose faith in your capacity to change. It's like the stuck feeling, a feeling of a loss of agency. Now, if we back up to this idea of perfectionism, to be perfectly sexy, perfectly wealthy, perfectly good, most of us know that that isn't an ideal. Like, we know that. So I wanted to break down a few guises that might resonate accurately, um, more accurately. So there's something called narcissistic perfectionism where people believe that they're absolutely capable of reaching the highest heights, but they become vulnerable when they realize that actually they're not. And I feel that one. I do feel that one. Uh, neurotic perfectionism. These people suffer from having fragile, uh, wavering self-esteem. And they feel like they never measure up. They have this really big discrepancy between who they are and who they want to be. And if they're not efficient at a particular thing, they experience it as a kind of like a failure of the entire self. And often it begins with this simple belief that they don't matter, but if they can just achieve at a certain level, if they can just be remarkable, then they will matter. That also kind of resonates. Bottom line, we're living in this age of perfectionism that almost everyone is contributing to or feeding into or eating up. And perfection is the thing that kills. We're creating this a psychological environment that's toxic. And I don't like to use that word lightly. I think it's overused. But for real, like it's mutating who we are. So um, let's tackle this shadow of inadequacy, shall we? Oh, talk so fast. Now, Richard Rudd says in the Gene Keys that the shadow is really crystallized in the developmental cycle of um, ages 7 to 14. This cycle relates to our emotional development and explains pretty much where our major feelings of inadequacy come from. Of course, there's generational wounding to take into account, but today we're just going to talk about personal pasts. And just think about that vulnerable time in your own life. It's probably filled with these really juicy, notable moments that affected your emotional capacity. Mine definitely was. Now, thankfully, we've been born into one of these generations that's beginning to understand the importance of emotional intelligence in the West anyway. And I don't know if the West, I mean, I don't honestly don't even know what the West is anymore. Is it like US and Canada? I just say that to mean like us Americanish people. Um, but anyway, as the children of emotionally illiterate recent ancestors anyway, we hold a lot of baggage still around how to handle these emotional states, um, how to handle them with equanimity, integrity, clarity. And Rudd has this great way of saying if we don't learn how to take full responsibility of our emotions and understand that nothing external can ever take away our core fear of inadequacy, I mean, maybe an abusive partner or something, but no amount of muscle, no level of education, no surplus of money is going to help fix this, then we're going to remain at some level children. And not that childlike kind that we all strive to remember to be, but that kind of annoying, underdeveloped kind. And as an attempt to fill this void that the shadow creates, there are a couple ways that we like to cope. And this is what I see a lot of in the coaching spaces and that 
when it's done out of integrity and without tact, it can be really dangerous and that is gaining knowledge and wealth. I want to talk about knowledge first. Knowledge has a dark side and a light side, like everything does. Uh, the light side transforms knowledge into wisdom, while the dark side becomes addicted to knowledge as a means of, of distraction and false security. And really, if you think about it, all systems of knowledge that are based on logic promise security. But again, like Anderson Todd says, it's only a problem when it's a problem, and the problem is we're not supposed to live in a state of security all the time. It's just unnatural. We're designed to live in chaos and order. So these other arenas like systemized religion, economics, and the education system almost all try to create this feeling of security for people, which is only a problem when it's a problem, right? So as long as you keep people involved in some kind of system, you can temporarily project that deep fear onto something outside of themselves. But that's the thing, right? Like we are looking outside to fix what is an inside job. <clears throat> the other major way we try to fill this void um, that the shadow creates is to create more wealth. The feeling sense of this one was really interesting. It's like escaping into the material realm rather than turning inwards to that source of the discomfort itself. If you listen to the show I did with Rudd, he explained that everyone can be prosperous, which is just having a little more than you need. Like the world, the universe, the resonance of everything is designed for prosperity for everyone. Wealth is a little bit different. Some are designed to be wealthy and some need very little. It all depends on your soul's path. Which one are you? <laughs> now, why in the world is inadequacy an inherent part of our human experience? Like for all of its darkness, it's got to have a purpose, right? And it seems that the purpose is to help us develop one of the most beautiful secrets to living a truly full life well lived, and that's trust. And trust is tricky, though. It implies entering into fears, which are very uncomfortable. Trust implies agency, which is, um, I think I already said this, but it's like this capacity to actively, to independently choose your own free will, to have self-determination, to know that things can change for you. So instead of hiding from the darkness inside you, you make your way there. And in those spaces are where we can find some wonderful surprises and that beautiful Joseph Campbell quote comes to mind that I can never really remember. The cave you fear to enter holds the answers you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the answers you seek. Um, or you can think of that scene from Empire Strikes Back when Luke drops into that hole and he has like a psychedelic experience and he chops off his own head. Before he drops in, he and Yoda have this back and forth. There's something not right here. I feel cold. That place is strong with the dark side of the force. A domain of evil it is. And you must go. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Your weapons. You will not need them. it's so good it's it's dark but you gotta go and the only thing that's in there is what you take with you that's the void we're talking about that's that nothingness and weapons aren't going to be of any use money muscles hotness 
extra stuff that I can't think of aren't going to be of any use. But the trust that you gain from dropping in brings all kinds of solutions to the challenges in our lives. Oh my God. Power went out or battery ran out. What am I doing? I need a, I need a team. Now, uh, one of the things I realized I was doing there is glorifying this process. And maybe rightfully so, like it's literally the hero's journey, but the feeling sense, the reality is it sucks, right? Nobody covets a stressful childhood. And that's why this topic of post-traumatic growth, this topic that I've dedicated this phase of my life to at least, it's controversial because it sucks and we don't want that for ourselves or our children or for anybody. And to say, yeah, but how did you grow from your poverty, your abuse, your neglect, your sickness, that can be insensitive. But the truth is there are some benefits, a lot of benefits that can come from having a really challenging upbringing and having adversity in your life. And that's upending conventional wisdom. Um, most of the people that I talk to about their difficult childhoods say that their hardship benefited them in some ways. Just think about it. In an uncertain condition, people who experience unpredictability in childhood, they are known to shift their focus faster without this loss of agency, without this lo loss of accuracy. It's a kind of cognitive flexibility, and that's necessary for things like creativity. And they have a greater willingness to leave things unfinished, so perfectionism isn't really a thing, you know? They don't dwell so much over what could have been, what should have been, in general, I'm generalizing. So that process of entering your cave and bringing back more of this elixir, going back into those places intentionally, it's usually not so fun, but it makes you more resourceful, street smart. That's one thing that affluence and security just won't buy you. And so this shadow of inadequacy, it transmutes into resourcefulness. Now, the cool thing about true resourcefulness, like divine resourcefulness, is that it's self-fulfilling. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It provides you with a solution that you needed at just the right moment, but it's not a logical process at all. It's more of this alignment with the resonance of the universe. Uh, it's those times when you got the exact support and the exact thing you needed when you needed it. And consciously acknowledging that these moments happen in your life, it gradually shows this fear of inadequacy thing that you've got going on, that it's an illusion. Trust and resourcefulness reinforces this inner security in you. But the trick is you really need to remain open. You need to remain trusting, vulnerable, equanimous, and unknowing like that's the kicker right there it's through your not knowing your unknowing that answers are revealed mysterious right it's a very intuitive a very psychic gift but when you learn to trust your not knowing life resolves itself effortlessly and if you want to hear from somebody who like lives by this method i'm not even kidding you it is interesting and amazing and it works you have to meet david lyon i'm going to link to him in our instagram met him in costa rica he's a great person and he lives by that and it really works now, how do you actually do this? How do you walk into the cave that you're fearful of and bring back the elixir? Well, that is 100% what the new podcast and community is about, The Art of Adversity. We're collectively learning how we can microdose intentional adversity and explore these altered states and psychological alchemy. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to link to that in the show notes as soon as it's launched, so wish me luck. I still have a lot of stuff to do around that. <laughs> I don't often talk about acidic states on this podcast because honestly... I don't know how to talk about them. They're so feely and psychic. I don't know how to interpret them through words, at least not very well. But the shadow of inadequacy and the way of resourcefulness turns into wisdom. And 
how am I not going to talk about wisdom? It's the thing that a lot of us seek almost above all else. It's a fan, it's a funny paradoxical city though, because where the more wisdom you gain, the more the void inside you expands. Like everything about wisdom is about being unsafe and unsecure. And Rudd explains that there's this big difference between being insecure and unsecure. To be insecure is to be taken hostage by your fears and then like dragged along on this journey uh, that promises this final redemption, but it never really de delivers on it. <laughs> but to be unsecure is to have... Um, is to have embraced your natural urge to escape fear. It's not being unafraid to die. It's not being fearless. It's embracing your urge to run away from it. Now, the question all seekers of wisdom have is, how do I attain it even? Well, the irony is, and I'm still working on this too, so like, please, <laughs> I haven't gotten it figured out, but it seems like true wisdom, this true manifestation of wisdom comes from ordinariness. Like complete ordinariness. What a word, ordinary, right? Like the dictionary definition of it is it's normal, something that has no extraordinary or interesting distinctive features. And I'll admit, like if somebody said, oh, Jessica is so ordinary, I'd be like devastated <laughs> because I want to be pro. I want to be exciting. I want to be special. I want to be interesting. The truth is hard to stomach, right? Like is true enlightenment being very ordinary and normal, like despite what I want it to look like, if it's utter, utterly ordinary, um, then it means that I'm not really seeking that. It means I'm seeking the extraordinary. And it's like there's this new cool street drug available, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit. And we're going to keep pursuing it until I'd imagine if we're lucky, we come to this natural conclusion that what is utterly ordinary is transcendence. There's no longing for fulfillment. There's directly experiencing what is. To put complete trust in your body, to feel what it feels, to think what it thinks, to act the way it acts. Now, I started off this show talking about inadequacy and what a dangerous state it could be. But just like the complexity of the human experience, just like the paradoxical nature of shadow work, the shadow of inadequacy is divine. We're designed to feel this inadequacy because it's the beginning of our journeys to embrace the absolutely ordinary beings that we are and to trust that built-in that built-in programming agenda that's awakening in so many of us, which is like, like amazing, which is to be of service to the whole. And that's wisdom. I, so I hear. All right. So <laughs> let's close the loop on all of this. What did I learn about how I could present myself and my company in the transformational space to contribute to awakening and not to the cringe and not to the inadequacy. First, acknowledging publicly my unknowing, to show my complete ordinariness, to make extraordinariness sexy, hopefully. <laughs> and just like many respectable professions, I think we need to keep up on CEUs, these continuing education units, metaphorically, at least in the sense that um, stepping into our own dark nights and our own underworlds is our school. The process is not going to be cute, but it's the only way to stay aligned and true. And I think we need to document more of those experiences if we're going to be documenting the cute. All right. So I usually end the show with a preview of what I'm going to talk about next time, but I literally don't think I've ever followed through on that. So I'm going to just go with the flow now and say on the next Shadow Work Library, we're going to cover another shadow and I'm sure it'll be a good one. 
And if you're enjoying the show, please do check out the YouTube version. I mean, I'm really proud of my new camera setup. This might be blurry. I'm like by myself. I don't know what I look like in the in the viewer, um, but I it's getting there. Um, and all of your ratings and reviews have been super helpful in my own journey of exploring my enoughness and um, giving me that external validation that I do kind of need. Oh, also it helps people find the show. <laughs> all right. So if you do want to find me on Instagram, um, you can find me at jessicadepatsy underscore. That's D-E-P-A-T-I-E underscore. Hopefully I'm adding to the awakening and not to the cringe, but I'll be making some mistakes, I'm sure. And you'll have a great night. Stay safe, but not too safe. And I'll see you next time.
Important happy. 